have this idea that we are, we're talking heads, <laughs> you know, that the body is this kind of instrument or inconvenience that we just sort of have to live with and deal with. And, and certainly in a lot of spiritual traditions too, there can be a really toxic teaching. And I certainly grew up in this, that the body is inherently bad, that the appetites mm -hmm. of the body can't be trusted, that there may be even sinful, that they'll lead us astray. So part of my life's kind of story and trajectory has really been redeeming my own body, reconciling with my own body, falling back in love with my own body and learning more and more and more what it means to see my body as my greatest ally in my own sense of who I am and my purpose in the legacy that I'm here to live out and in discernment and in the healing of trauma. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Welcome back to the Living Centered Podcast. We are so excited about these next few episodes we are going to be diving into the topic of spirituality and the many ways it impacts the healing journey. As most of us know, the word spirituality can evoke a lot of different thoughts and feelings, some good, some not so good, and everything in between. We want you to know that we're approaching these conversations from the perspective that as humans, we are all made up of body, mind, and spirit. And so we're going to be digging into the latter as it pertains specifically to our lived experience. That said, we want you to know that this is a safe space and everything belongs. All ideologies are welcome here. And if this conversation feels too overwhelming for you, no pressure. We'll be here when you get back. If you do choose to join us, and we hope you do, please know that we do not have a specific point of view or agenda here. This is just a welcome space for all thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. Our hope is that these conversations might help you think about spirituality in new ways and that you might encounter some new ideas or learn of some new practices that you might be able to implement to help you stay centered while on the path to healing. We look forward to sharing space with you, friend. So let's dive in. Friends, we're so thrilled to introduce you to Nicole Moline. Nicole is a mentor, a wellness coach, and a poet, and so many more things. Um, it would take a really long time to kind of <laughs> articulate the fullness of this beautiful human, but we're going to jump right into um, talking to her about spirituality and the body and everything else that will ensue. And Nicole um, is a beautiful poet, loves to read poetry, is a curator of gorgeous meditations. I know there, um, she has a lot of product that is sort of these lush, she calls them lush meditations, audioscapes for the soul. And so we just love to invite Nicole to read us a poem or lead us in a meditation, whatever you think that we need on this beautiful day. Wow. Hello. Hello. I'm so honored to be here. I have, I've always just held on site in such high regard and all the folks that I've met that are connected to this community are uh, just radiant with beautiful stories of your work. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So mm. glad you're here. Yes. So I want to start us off today with a poem that I often will use as an entry point to one of the courses that I lead that I've designed called Weighty, which is a course about really coming into redefining your relationship with weight and and coming into your weightiness, coming into your body, coming at body recomposition, whether that's weight loss or strength training or weight gain, whatever it is, from this place of purpose and legacy. And I just love this poem as a doorway, how it, how it drops us right into mm. our hearts. So let's take a deep breath into it. Whatever you're doing, just take a big, deep breath into your feet, the soles of your feet, your fingertips, the base of your spine, just start to feel into the expansiveness of your body. This is called St. Francis and the Sow by Galway Canal. The bud stands for all things, even for those that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. 
Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to place a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down through her thick length from the earthen snout, all through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail, from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them the long, perfect loveliness of Sal. Mm. Wow, right? Yeah, wow. It's like, <laughs> that's <beautiful>. okay. <laughs> yes. There's a few lines I want to I want to come back to. Yeah. They're just so rich. First of all, let's just remember a sow is a pig. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of it's it's already it's surprising from the outset. It's a it's like a poem of celebration of a pig, which we think of as maybe like one of the baser things, right? Certainly like one of the less kind of graceful and elegant and maybe the less lovely. But it's a celebration of the loveliness of all that is, right? Mm, Including this vow. And I love that the way that Galway Canal frames this is that, first of all, that loveliness, which let's just remember that word, Mm, it's it's worthy of love. It's it's the quality of evoking love. So like deep breath right now into your loveliness, all the ways Mm. you can just take a moment to think of all the ways, all the moments that you in your life have evoked love. And that could be the love of a beloved. That could be the love of a family member. That could be the love of branches of trees holding you up as a kid. The love of a meadow that held you as you were just laying in it. The love of sunlight on your face in early spring, right? Like all the ways that you have been loved on. Just like deep breath into that. And that this is framed, this this loveliness, to reteach a thing, it's loveliness. It's an act of remembrance. Yeah. Mm. And so I love that both, I love that this poem reminds us it's actually normal to have to remember our loveliness. That's a normal thing. It's a normal thing to frame it. And it's a normal thing to remember it, to have a practice of remembering it. And it's also a normal thing. And I know so much of the audience of this podcast are healers and therapists and uh, reteachers, right? That it's also normal and it's needed to be retaught our loveliness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. be led into a remembrance of our loveliness. I love that. That parallels like so deeply to what we do at Onsite. And so true. I love the idea of like, the, uh, that's what I really resonated on the first time you read. That was just the reteach, relearn, refeel, because it's something that we all have and like our goodness. And I, I know so many people come to Onsite just wanting to feel self-love again or wanting to feel compassion mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like amazing. I've had the honor of like sitting in at many opening sessions the first night someone's there and s- then also sitting on the back end at the last session and mm-hmm. seeing the dramatic shift of people experiencing that for the first time. And in mental health world, we know that like, we're all born that way. We're all born good. We're all born lovely. We're all born, even with the idea that we are lovely, like as children, we have wonder, we have curiosity, like we have, we don't have that uh, kind of taintedness to the world. We haven't picked up those other scripts yet that have told us kind of the opposite of our loveliness. Mm-hmm. And we have this poem on site that we have in a program and, and it's all about before your script is written and so much of what we what we do mm-hmm. in our work is really about helping people remember relearn and retell themselves like who were you before the world told you who to be 
and going back to that place. And so I loved that poem because it really paralleled mm. so much to like, we all have that goodness. We just have to relearn it. And we have to sometimes by others too be retold it or retaught and have a guide that kind of helps us get back to that point. But it's available for everyone. And yeah. and that's like the beauty of like healing work too. It's, it's like, we're all capable of it. It just, we have to be able to go back, you know? Mm. Amen to everything you just said. And I, I love that this poem in particular is both, it, it both honors that often this remembering happens in community, right? Mm-hmm. And it also, like it, it's, it, in this case, it's, it's someone coming, you know, putting the hand on the crease of the forehead of the sow and telling mm-hmm. it again that it is lovely, but that also that that's a, that's an embodied experience, right? It's a hand mm-hmm. to forehead, it's a body to body and I know that's that's part of what Nicole wanted to explore today is is how our own bodies allow us to remember. I love that this word remember is actually when you break it apart, remember to knit the members together, to knit mm. the maybe like broken or fragmented or forgotten or numb parts of us like back together into a whole. Mm. But this is a physical yeah. experience. I'd love to explore how embodiment helps us with that because you, uh, from what I know, are such a good teacher of embodiment. And even in that first five minutes we've spent together, I felt in my body, you know, like it wasn't, I know we're sitting across the screen from each other and we're just saying words, but that was a bodied experience because I am a body. I have like, I am in my body. And so I love uh, at onsite too, where really uh, most of our work is, somatic in nature, meaning we get in our bodies. Um, and we, we know that healing, oftentimes trauma is stored in a different part of our brain that we can't just talk about, we have to agree with it in our bodies. And so whatever ability that may mean for people, it's not about necessarily movement, but it's about getting alignment with your kind of soul, spirit, body, mind, and all of that. But uh, that's something we haven't really explored on the podcast a ton. And so I'd love if you could help us continue to kind of learn and lean into that embodiment idea, how you see that in your life and your work. And it sounds like, I know Nicole listed a bunch of kind of hyphenated titles for you, but I'd love for you to even just kind of shape like a little bit about who you are and what you're passionate about and kind of how you see kind of that topic play into that. Oh, I love it. That's, that's great. Yeah. So I want to just invite everybody listening right now to take a breath into your body again to come back. And part of why I'm inviting us to do this is because we forget that quickly. Like we just did mm-hmm. this five minutes ago, but it's our whole culture. I mean, to get into like Western philosophical right. history, like all the way back to like Cartesian dualism, Descartes philosophy. And of course, like before that, the Greeks have, we have this idea that we are, we're talking heads, <laughs> you know, that we are that the body is this kind of instrument or inconvenience that we just sort of have to live with and deal with. And, and certainly in a lot of spiritual traditions too, there can be a really toxic teaching. And I certainly grew up in this, that the body is inherently bad, that the appetite mm-hmm. of the body can't be trusted, that there may be even sinful, um, that they'll lead us astray. So part of my life's kind of story and trajectory has really been redeeming my own body, uh, reconciling with my own body, falling back in love with my own body, and learning more and more and more what it means to see my body as my greatest ally in my own sense of who I am and my purpose in the legacy that I'm here to live out, and in in discernment, and in the healing of trauma, actually. And so I love mm-hmm. that, um, Hannah, that you just brought up, you know, that when we experience trauma, that it's stored in a part of us. It's stored in our brain in a way that often, again, like our language can't even get into. We don't even have right. words for. Um, and so it's actually like, what would it look like? Number one, what kind of possibility does it open for you to feel your body as your greatest ally? I just want to like start with that question because that could be a revolution <laughs> in mm, itself. Uh-huh. And the ways in which the ways in which your body feels like it's maybe not your ally, that's like mm. the juice right there. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like Ooh, dig yeah. into that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's that's the work of your next frontier, your next horizon, the next mm. chapter of you. The the extent to which you're willing, you know, to dig into like why 
this body might feel like something other than an ally, even an enemy. Because we're always experiencing little traumas. We're always experiencing little breakages from our true self or, or vast traumas and vast ruptures, right? right? And yeah. so also this work of healing that so many at Onsite are doing, this kind of midwifing us back to ourselves is, is also needed and normal. Mm. And so if all of that is true, then what would it look like to have a physical practice of remembering your loveliness, of remembering mm-hmm. who you are, of remembering your purpose and knitting yourself back together? So that's my journey started in my journey as, as kind of a teacher and a leader and a healer started way back high school. I started to sense both the call to spiritual leadership and to healing. I didn't really, I didn't have any map or examples of what that would look like for a woman. I grew up in a really conservative mm-hmm. tradition yeah. where I didn't see women leading in, in, right. you know, in any of these ways. And so I, but, but that being said, I, the only way that I could imagine it was pastoral ministry, which to me in that world would have not been an option as a woman. It's still unbelievable to say those words, <laughs> but right. in the case, mm-hmm. in a lot of worlds, right? And revolution underway, yes. Um, and <laughs> secondly, was to imagine healing as in conventional medicine, right? So I set off on a path towards medical school. And a lot of my story in, in different ways and different chapters has been starting off on a conventional path because I didn't, I couldn't imagine anything other than that. Right. Yeah. And then being pulled off that path for one reason or another and realizing that I could do whatever it is, I could do that, that essence that I, mm-hmm. that core essence that I was feeling yeah. in all kinds of different forms. So I think that we have these, as humans, we yeah. all have core essences, you know, maybe yeah. healer, artist, mother, father, leader, whatever yours are. And even right now, like, let's take a breath into that question. What are some core essences that you know yourself to be? And how fun that over the course of our life, that can take so many different forms. The Mm -hmm. form of artist can take so many different forms over the course of your Mm -hmm. life. The, The essence of mother, the essence of father, the essence of sister, the essence of friend, can take all of these different forms. And certainly vocationally that that's so true. So I kind of slowly found my way into seminary, which gave me a lot of spiritual leadership tools. And and then, you know, on the other side of that, realizing this doesn't have to look exactly as I have maybe Mm. seen it. What what would it look like for me to express this spiritual leadership? And um, and then also having, always having this, athletics for me, I would say not sports so much. I would, I would never have thought of myself as an athlete as a kid, but athletic expression was always this refuge. Mm. Like it was this place that I reclaimed strength in a way that I, you know, was, was kind of constantly maybe losing. So when I moved to New York city, I grew up in California. When I moved to New York city for graduate school, I needed a job. <laughs> and of course, as many of us find ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get it. <laughs> work at the gym or work at a bar. And thankfully, I, I went for the gym route. So long story short, I got involved in the founding of Peloton in New York City. And so over the course of a few years, I'm on a bike and I'm fusing music, a great love and words yeah. and strength and training and the medicine of encouragement. And I'm like, I, I just kind of had this lightning bolt realization. Oh my goodness, I'm doing all of these things that I have always seen myself doing, but in this weird package, <laughs> you know, right. like yeah. pulpit. And yeah. this community is a, is a kind of sweat church. And so I, I was there for a few years and now do my own work, but I basically lead of movement practice now called altar, which is both movement. It's a fusion. I call it yoga inspired. So it's a fusion of yoga and ecstatic dance and strength training and meditation. And I think of it as, and then I also do indoor cycling version of it too, but I think of it as this daily, this daily practice again of what we were just talking about, of remembering myself home, remembering my strength, Hmm. remembering my loveliness. And very importantly, feeling into my body for how I'm storing that last days or weeks or however long it's been since I've really moved with this intention, how I'm storing trauma, how I'm storing pain, 
emotional pain, soul pain, and into that and then releasing it, releasing it physically. So I think that's a mode of healing that I think is, I I see so many um, containers of this starting to emerge, but up until the last few years, I think it's not a way that we've thought about training or working out or physicality. Hey friends, Hannah here. I am jumping into these conversations around living-centered and spirituality to talk to you about our living-centered program. There are tons of reasons why the living-centered program might be a good fit for you. You may be feeling stuck, you may be feeling burnt out, you may be feeling anxious or depressed, and you also just may be looking for some new direction in life. You may be thinking that there must be more and you're wanting to tap into your total potential. No matter your reasoning, we see all sorts of people attend the Living Centered program and experience the life change that happens there and come out the other side of it a more fuller version of themselves. All of our programs at OnSite really focus on your holistic healing. We know that mental health is just a piece of the equation. There's your physical health, there's your relational health, there's your spiritual health. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. We at OnSite are faith-inclusive, meaning we invite and celebrate all different belief systems. Whether you grew up in a faith tradition, you belong to one now, or you don't have one at all, the Living Centered Program gives an opportunity to reassess, reevaluate, and reconnect to your understanding of faith, belief, and a higher power. I personally did a Living Centered Program a couple years ago, and I came from a background Um, where belief and faith was a big part of my upbringing. But as I got older, that part of my life no longer felt safe, inclusive, and life-giving. Instead, I was carrying around a lot of spiritual wounding. I had grown to kind of let that settle. I had found stability and just kind of let that part be diminished in my life. And so I went to the Living Centered program, not really thinking I would be entering into any sort of engagement with that side of my life. But what the Living Centered program did for me is it offered me a space to just explore, to reconnect and reclaim the parts that still felt healthy and helpful in my life, and to also say goodbye to the pieces that were no longer serving me, to the beliefs that no longer had a place in my life. It allowed me to heal some wounds I had from my spiritual past and also find hope in how I want to build a future. And my story is not unique. I've had the pleasure of talking to hundreds of people who have gone through this program. And no matter their faith or spiritual identity, they found that in the Living Centered program, they were allowed to be fully themselves and explore all parts of themselves and feel connected to something bigger than themselves, whether that's to a higher power, whether that's to nature, or whether that's to people. If you are looking to reclaim parts of yourself that maybe you feel like are lost, or maybe you're looking to heal wounds that are still weighing down your life, or maybe you're looking to explore a new spiritual side of you, the Living Center program could be a great fit for you. My hope is that anyone going through this program leaves emboldened and empowered in the direction they want to be headed. If you want to learn more about how the Living Centered Program can support you in your spiritual journey, our team would love to connect with you on a confidential call to explore your options. You can find out more in the show notes, or you can connect with our team by calling 800-341-7432. Nicole, you kind of play in this like sandbox of duality, and I love it so much. Do you want to talk a little bit about, so I've, I've had the pleasure of taking one of your, I don't even want to call it a class, taking part in one of your ceremonies. How about that? And I know not only was I flowing in this beautiful, really tender way, but there were moments where we were screaming. We were yelling, kind of working through some of this like internal aggression. And I don't probably have the the best language for it, but I love, I know that you were tending to what you would describe as a little bit of animal versus spirit, um, or not versus rather, but both are are kind of working in tandem. You, You use the language hustle and flow, masculine, feminine. Would you kind of break that down for us a little bit? Oh, yeah. I love, I love this question. The good stuff. Yeah. Polarity is so important to our experience. And I think that maturity has to do, the more mature and wise we become, is the expansion of our capacity to hold 
contradictions, yeah. to hold polarity, to hold. So we can look at, you can look at every culture in the world and there's some version of masculine and feminine, yin and yang. I call it, hus- you know, I think of it as like hustle and flow, uh, intention, structure, and openness. And in a healthy human, we're holding both of these things. And yeah. we're developing both of these poles at the same time. And when I was thinking about kind of weaving altar together, the altar practice, I was just kind of thinking about how like I love, I love intense, sweaty, hardcore training with intense music, great beat, like rah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you experience this. You, totally. Whether it's like a, you're out on a run and you do a wind sprint at the end and you just like, or you get mm. to the top of a mountain and you tr- you feel like roaring. You yep. feel like like accessing that raw animal. Mm. Maybe we call it masculine. Maybe we call it yang. Maybe we call it aggressive part of us that's, that's fire, right? And I know, and that, that feels very healthy. And so when I, think, when I think about the world of kind of fitness and training, there's a lot of gyms and, and classes and workouts that are definitely tailored towards that, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but, and then there's like the yoga world, <laughs> which is beautiful and yeah. such a refuge, but often doesn't have that fire to it. Doesn't, so I was kind of thinking that there's these two modes that we are not given many options to be in healthfully aggression mm-hmm. and tenderness. So like I'm not in the course of a day, not much in my experience, whether it's at, you know, work or conversations, friendships, relationships, there's not many opportunities or invitations to be in my aggression, to express my aggression healthfully. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we've all seen that where it explodes in a fight or whatever. But and then, of course, also tenderness, like the heart open, vulnerable. I think about the, you know, Shavasana at the end of a yoga class where you're just like you're utterly surrendered. And there's so many reasons why that feels unsafe in most scenarios of our lives, like to be totally unarmored. And so I thought about like, what would it look like to create a practice that invites us into both of these places. Cause every day there's stuff that I am so upset about. I'm so angry about. <laughs> I have We're nodding little... by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. Get it. Yeah. So, so it, it feels very healthy to have a moment during my day. Maybe it's one song, one amazing song mm. where I'm just like, I'm, I'm accessing that part of me and I'm kind of like clearing it. I'm, I'm releasing yeah. it. I'm, I'm, I'm loving on it also. and being like, you belong here too. Mm. And then also like what it, to have also a moment in the day where there's that invitation to totally surrender, to totally unarmor, mm-hmm. to let the heart just feel and say everything that's going on. Yeah. So that's, that's my, my thought with the altar practices is to, you know, bring someone through, whether it's a 20 minute version or like a hour long version of a class or a whole retreat to be in both of these poles and all of the in-betweens. And so at the, you know, on the other side of it, hopefully we feel like, all right, I have all parts of me belong today. Yeah. Yeah. More integrated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I feel like honestly, one of the most healing things we can do is understand our duality and our multitudes. Um, Um, I think so many people have a hard time with sitting in some of these things. I love that you made mention to like aggression that we don't really have. We're not conventionally taught how to explore that or um, how to healthily engage with something, especially as women. I know in my upbringing, I grew up in a, in a faith upbringing and a conservative household and women. So I was, and I am a giant embodied like ball of energy. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't know where all that to go because as a kid, I felt all this and I was probably very, I feel a lot of anger as like an underlying emotion, but I was just told like that couldn't come out. Mm, And so, yeah, I had to put it somewhere, but it just just went down into me. And so like learning how to, as an adult now reparent some of that and say like, 
oh, none of these emotions we're feeling are bad. They're all telling us things. They're all communicating and just information for us. And so we have to explore this information. We have to be able to engage with it and say, hey, what are you trying to teach me? How can I engage with you? What do you need? Um, Mm -hmm. And that work can be so, so healing, whether it's anger or sadness or grief or joy or longing or any of this, like all of those things are totally worthy of being explored and sat in and uh, engaged with and, and truly moving. I love the idea of engaging with it with your body because it's not just a concept then it's like, Mm. what does this feel like? How do I honor it? Uh, Mm. How do I make space for it in the room? Because when we put something outside of just words, even when we speak something aloud, but when we express it, it, it makes it real. It allows it to take mm. space. And then, then and only then I think we can actually honor it for what it's telling us, you know? Yeah. So well said. I'm thinking about one of my great teachers, uh, who's just one of like, th- I think the greatest gifts to our time and our moment is Father Richard Rohr. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. written just beautiful books and is living a beautiful life as a teacher. But he just says this very simple phrase, everything belongs, mm-hmm. everything belongs. Like what if your depression belongs? What if you, yeah. mm-hmm. what if you set a seat at the table for your depression? What if you set a seat at the table for your 10 year old anger that never got to express itself? Right. Or mm-hmm. these parts of ourselves that we feel like are unacceptable that, that, that are going to disqualify us from in some way, if we really gave them voice to begin right. even in ourselves, like to, like the start to start the work of healing culture by starting the work of healing in ourselves of blessing, you know, again, like we come back to this poem of placing our hands on its forehead and blessing it and saying, you belong. Father Richard Rohr talks about the process of growth as being a process of both transcending and integrating mm-hmm. that to be able to transcend something, to grow beyond it and to choose aware, conscious way of being, that we can't do that unless we have first integrated all of these parts of us, you know, these, even these like ways that we were raised and shaped and formed to like bring those in and integrate and to bless them in that way and be like, you belong, you're part of me also, and I am going to transcend you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That makes me think of, um, I don't know if you're super familiar with uh, internal family systems work, but Mm -hmm. it's often called parts work and kind of honoring what each part is teaching you. But one of our clinicians uh, recently taught a class on shame and it was really impactful for me because shame is this thing you think like, get out of here. There's no room for that. And, and in a sense, we do need some reframing around shame, like from I am bad to have done something bad or something like that. But for me, the clinician Carlos was the first time we had an illustration of a table and shame was still at the table. He was like, I love that you said like, yeah, your depression could have a seat at the table because it's still a part of us, whatever the it is, it is. But he was like, but we get invited to move seats. Like it's no longer sitting at the head of the table. It's no longer mm-hmm. deciding what we're having for dinner. It's no longer getting to jump between seats because that's not how people behave at dinner parties. Like where can we ask it to reset because or else it's, it just like doesn't get that same seat anymore, but it still is a seat because it's still a part of us. And that was a really beautiful way and expansive way of me understanding like just yeah honoring what all those parts do have because they are still part of us but like in that sense I was just picturing for myself like what would be at the head of my table and I was thinking back to that poem and it's like oh our loveliness like whatever that Mm -hmm. is for me I think that's like a blend of the strong piece that I have and the softness that I have that aggression and that tenderness but that's what gets to be kind of at the head of the table as we integrate all these different pieces of ourselves. Mm. It's so good. I love Elizabeth Gilbert says fear gets to ride in the car, but it has to sit in the back seat and it doesn't get to pick the music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love totally. that. This whole conversation really has made me think of just the word expansiveness. Like you have what I see in you, I don't know you, but is just like this huge expansiveness and permission to be, and just like an openness to what, is in front of you and what is inside of you even as you talked kind of about um the conventional paths that you step down like I, I was going to pursue spirituality and be a priest in that way and then going to pursue traditional medicine and then how so many people have an idea of what they think they want to do um and have an idea of what how they think they want to make an impact in the world or how they want to show up in the world and we often get 
stuck there and can feel like a failure if that's not working out or that if it's maybe not feeling right for that traditional sense isn't feeling right. Um, And I'm wondering if you could speak to a little bit about kind of your story of letting yourself open up to different routes and letting yourself open to expansiveness. Because I mean, I've been to Peloton classes and it is fully spiritual, fully medicinal, fully body. It is all those things. And so, like you said, you kind of had that aha moment, like, oh, I'm doing all these things that make sense for me and my passions. But I imagine along the way, there was probably also the like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I never thought I'd be X, Y, Z, or I didn't think this. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I told my dad, I'm dropping out of my PhD program so I can sweat in a sports bra on TV. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's cool. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was, you know, I was like partly joking, but also we're in such an exciting era right now. I feel the buzz of it. I feel like we're in the midst of a, spiritual awakening on a scale that really is unprecedented just globally. And it's very much tied to the information age that we're in, you know, the the internet (laughs) and Mm -hmm. all of the interconnectivity and the way that it is allowing for conversations and for cross-fertilization in a way that we've never seen before. And also What's so exciting, I I have chills just even thinking about all of this again, is that it's, of course, the Internet's, of course, this this huge democratizing platform, or it can be. It's what we make of it, right? Wherein the gatekeepers are less and less and less and less and less relevant. Right. So what the Internet has allowed is if you feel a call to create, if you feel a call to lead, if you, you know, to create a certain kind of community, guess what? All of a sudden, for the first time in history, you can find your people and your people can find you like your work, right. your work and your words are now smoke signals to call your people. So I just want to put that out there. A lot of what I do and and I do one-on-one mentorship work with people also in small group and on retreats. And what I've found, you know, oftentimes I think it's really important to always be like as a, as a leader. And I know so many listening to this podcast are, I think all of us are at some level, we have our visions and we have our sense of our work, but it's so important to constantly be tapping in with our work and listening to our work and letting our work tell us what it is, you know? Right. So when I do that, I notice a lot of the people that I tend to work with or who are drawn to work with me are often in sort of like a, they're in a transitional moment Maybe it's a job loss, it's a divorce, it's a loss of a certain possibility that they have hoped for for a long time, or empty, a lot of empty nesters. And, you know, right on that cusp where you're, you're asking yourself some version of what is my next chapter and what's my next act. And I think that never, you know, never in, in all of history have we really been dwelling in this energy of so much possibility. So again, I think that whatever it is that you feel called to create, especially if it doesn't quite fit, you know, you haven't seen it done before (laughs) or you're asking yourself, how could I do this? I don't have the kind of traditional credentials for it. This is an age that you're able to educate yourself. You're able to get training, to get teaching from your laptop, (laughs) right? So there's, yeah, there's so much possibility. And so I think that, it's a moment to really take seriously your unique vision, however funky that is. I love Oscar Wilde has a great uh, line, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like you, the symphony of your DNA plays once in this universe. So mm-hmm. we need it. We need to hear it. So turn the volume up on that and, and amplify the work that's yours to create. It's so profound. And I think when I think about you and your story, there's this ironic, we're talking about duality. There's this ironic sense where you've just said yes, like the story's written itself. Story's writing itself and you're saying yes. But also there's so much agency that you have that you have like really stepped into your power as a human on the earth choosing to create the life that you want to have and the mark that you feel that you're meant to make on this planet. And I find that irony really 
stark and thinking about, too, like your physical landscape that you're living in and the one that you came from. And I would love to hear a little bit about, we were laughing, thinking about she lived in the land of the future, New York, this really aggressive, the hustle city, right? We know, like, New York never sleeps. And I'm looking at her right now. There's this gorgeous tapestry behind her head. And it actually looks like if you squint, like you're in front of a gorgeous mountain range, which I think there is a mountain range very close to you. She's living in the desert now in New Mexico. And so I think a lot of what you're articulating is this is like hard one, but also this wisdom comes from slowing down taking time, listening, asking questions, being still, breathing. And those things are hard to do in landscapes where you're being encouraged to go, go, go and grin and bear it and muscle through everything that you're experiencing in your day-to-day. So I'd love to hear kind of what it was like to do this work that you do and have, you have hustle energy, but you also have quiet spirit. And I love that about you, but you lived in this landscape, the hustle landscape, and now you're in an actual desert. And I would love to hear kind of what it's felt like to do this work in these different locations, but also like spiritual landscapes as well. Oh, that's such a rich question. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm looking out at the Jemez Mountains right now in northern Mexico. I'm a little bit north of Santa Fe. This part of the country, northern New Mexico, really feels like another country to me. It feels the the other, the kind of nickname for Santa Fe is the city different. <laughs> it's a, hmm, it's an like odd that. place. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's the third largest art market in the country. So it's a, it's always been a, a place forever and ever of artists and I guess of saints and artists, I would say, but mm-hmm. of wily saints, <laughs> of desert saints. You know, the other version of a desert saint is somebody who got kicked out of the city monastery. <laughs> <laughs> a sequestered oh, saint. <laughs> That's amazing. But the desert is such an important landscape spiritually in just about every tradition. You know, a monastery is usually set in a place of wilderness and often in a desert place. So there's this wonderful phrase in Christian spirituality. There's this wonderful tradition of the desert mothers and the desert fathers. Mm-hmm. Like, just like breathe into that for a second. What would it mean to become a desert mother, desert father? And it's a sense of someone who, and, and of course, again, we see it across traditions like the Indian guru who's in the, the cave, right? The desert meditator, the cave dwelling meditator. And so there's constantly been an impulse, I think, in those who are really taking their spiritual growth quite seriously to have seasons of retreat. And so I felt like I've, I, I feel like that's a bit of what's been going on with this move to New Mexico. I've been here for about, a little over two years and it's been hard and magical in equal parts. I moved for the sky <laughs> for the most part. The, the sky does things here I've never seen it do anywhere else. It's just astonishing. And it's a, it's a place where I call it like a prayer soaked place. Like it's a place where it's a place where people come to do business, like to do soul business, to do mm. the opposite of, to do the opposite of what it means to do business in New York city or in LA <laughs> or what, you know, in, in urban center. It's like, when you come to New Mexico, you come to do business and New Mexico does, does business with you. Like, I like that <laughs> folks who come here, talk about a kind of ferocity to the land. Like it, it really shakes you and requires of you to do uh, uh, usually the spiritual work you've been neglecting. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's been my experience so far for better and for worse is that it's been hard and magical and really, really creatively amplifying. I'm so excited to hear an emerging conversation across, with, across the wellness world about rest and restoration and Sabbathing, maybe we'll call it, you know, letting your land lie fallow. And this is so important. This is so core to who we are as humans that we live in these cycles. We, you know, the same way that the earth has a spring, summer, fall, winter, like, of course, we have these seasons to our lives as well. That that's, again, that's normal to have that kind of secularity of rest and expression. And that's so not only not celebrated in our culture, but it's penalized. I mean, mm-hmm. we've all had that experience of meeting somebody at a party or meeting somewhere, someone anywhere, 
And usually the, the second question after what's your name is, what do you do? And the assumption, of course, is work. And the assumption is productivity. And I, as a, just kind of a practice, like when I first moved here, I try to answer that with like, oh, canoeing. Yeah. <laughs> Starving. Social experiment. Yeah. <laughs> you can really stargazing a lot, you know, mm, like, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a place that for me has, uh, I think, been an important moment of retreat and rest. Mm-hmm. And I've been manyaning. <laughs> I love it. The land of manana. Yeah. At onsite, one of the uh, my favorite things about our programs is that when people come, we ask them not to share what they do. And it is like so beautiful to see people connect as humans and see people to see their own worth as a human without a job title or a status. Like our whole lives were spent like chasing after accomplishments and accolades. And then just to, it's like incredibly awkward at first to watch people. It's like, or I've gone through a program myself and I like struggle with overperforming and overworking and uh, like going through in that first night at dinner, you're like, so do you have any pets? Like you really don't know what to talk about because our, our culture is so obsessed with it. So mm-hmm. I love this idea of even your landscape, like kind of forcing you to reevaluate yeah. like it, parts of your identity around that. Um, so I think that's so cool that you've intentionally sought that out because I think us, a lot of people intentionally seek the opposite of like, how can I find more places to chase or integrate that hustle side of me and so to chase the slow and integrate that and that's kind of where you've kind of realized the outside of yourself outside of work outside of that identity I think that's beautiful has that journey felt have you felt fear at any particular part of this like Hannah is describing her experience of you obviously I'm familiar with you so I I have more language and context for this but you do present in the world as open as heart forward as open hearted that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that fear has no part in your story plays no part in your story so I'd love to hear like what did that feel like to go from something you've known for a long time, even though mm-hmm. your life within it has had, you know, different movements and seasons, but to move into this desert landscape, just kind of knowing, okay, this is, this is here and now, and I'm not certain what's next. Yeah, that's such a, it's such a rich question in all kinds of ways. And not just because it's a North, um, Northern New Mexico, the high desert is actually a very kind of surprisingly fertile place. Uh, in terms of the vegetation and the weather patterns and stuff, we get these incredible monsoons in the summer, which are beautiful. But spiritually, or even like professionally, it's definitely been a whole, I, I've been on a whole learning journey. I'm actually working on a course, creating a course around this right now on shifting from, or I should say, choosing an abundance mindset. Mm. <laughs> and if you want to be challenged in choosing an abundance mindset, move to the desert or even like more <laughs> date in the desert. <laughs> um, yeah, so, seriously. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things, but it's been a challenge to choose, to choose abundance. And I mean, yeah. even, even in this, I think as we are watching and feeling and experiencing climate change and all of the fears mm-hmm. that that can stir up, right? Like that also is sort of connected at its core to a mindset of abundance and solutions or a mindset of scarcity. And so I think we're, we're at a moment right now, culturally, where in so many ways that that choice of mindset is so challenging and it's constantly presented to us. Um, so that's, yeah, that's something that I've definitely, I think, really been aware of here I just have to share the story because I feel like it's so rich. There's, I have a dear friend up in uh, Montana where I'm leading a retreat this summer because the first, the first retreat that I led up there was in collaboration with her. She has a cycling studio that she opened. Her name's Carolyn up in, uh, in the cycling studio is called Zephyr up in Bozeman, Montana. And I did a podcast interview with her on my podcast, which is also called Alter early on. And we had, we had this conversation around this question and this was the question that guided her amidst of a lot of fears of launching this new business in a town that had never had a studio like this before. So she was both educating a market, you know, she was creating a market for herself Mm. and she was not sure if that was going to be at all successful. And of course, like anything that matters, she was heavily invested in it. And we were playing with this question. What is a project that feels so 
exhilarating, fun, challenging, growthful for you, (laughs) that it doesn't matter if it succeeds. Mm. Like it doesn't, Mm. like, what would you do if it didn't matter if you failed? What would you do that feels so fun or feels like so irresistible that failure is, is not even the important part here? Like if this if this creation, if this artwork, if this business, if this way you want to put yourself out into the world doesn't succeed, like on whatever terms that we're kind of taught to evaluate this kind of stuff, but you grow so much, you have so much fun doing it. You get to like flex new muscles. Like, what is that? That's the, Mm. that's always, I think, such a juicy question to sit with, you know, when you're thinking about like making a move to a new place or quitting a job and starting a new business or, you know, or, or venturing into a relationship or something, does it feel so irresistible and such an invitation to growth that whether or not it's like a long-term success, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a forever home, but this move was that kind of a thing for me. It was like, I knew that I knew that I was going to have to grow. I knew that I was going to have to stretch and create a whole new community here in a way, you know, that in a way that where that, like that process itself felt more valuable than whatever yeah. other metrics that I might've been using. Mm. We did a webinar yesterday on failure and yeah. it was like the most registered webinar we've ever had because people really wow. resonated with that. Mm. But something we really dove into was like, these timelines are outdated. Like they don't make yeah. sense mm-hmm. anymore. And they probably never did to be honest, but that's the yeah. ones we grew up with are the ones we had. But like the, you do this and then you do this and then you get a job and then you get married and then you have kids and then you move and then you retire. Like that's not setting anyone up for like internal success and so Mm -hmm. how can we go away with those those metrics that we and say like is this actually true to how I want to quote unquote succeed how I want to do well how what makes me feel powerful in my choices like Mm -hmm. yeah they're outdated they're not working for us anymore it's such a gift to get to edit those metrics right and to choose like this Mm -hmm. is what I this is what Maybe let's not even talk about failure. Like, what is success to me? What does it look like to live that, to ask those juicy questions, to, like, really drink the marrow, to live life and be rooted? And I love what you're describing as, like, New York, there's a different, the growth trajectory kind of culturally looks different. And, like, where you are now, growing down, setting roots down, connecting to the people in your world, whatever that looks like, that I think there's, like, the, your world is looking more global and that's a more obtuse angle than I think just your approximate community. But I love this idea that you get to slow down, set roots down. And if you want to like to make a left turn, that is the beautiful next part of your story. And I'm just so grateful that you continue to say yes and scrap the rules. I love it. You're like such a bold, fierce, <laughs> such a bold, fierce dream weaver magician. I love I love it. We've talked a lot about spirituality in this conversation. And I love that. And I know that we are all parts physical. We're all parts emotional. We're all parts spiritual. We're all these things at once. Um, And I also know a lot of people come with their ideas about what spirituality means. And maybe they've had a painful experience with a, a belief system or something like that, where they could write themselves off from parts of this conversation because they wouldn't label themselves as this. And I love that your work in all that you do is really deeply spiritual. And while you pursue that in more conventional path, and you now find that in a kind of reimagined path for yourself, I wonder if you could just help us broaden our understanding of what spirituality is, both what it means to you and also like what you invite people to engage with spirituality in your type of like embodiment work and all of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's such a wonderful question. And I'm going to answer it with a poem. (laughs) Oh, great. So part of why I'm obsessed with poetry is that it's this language of the gray. It's this language. uh, It celebrates a duplicity of meanings. And it's also, it's the language that we can feel in our bodies. You know, Emily Dickinson, when she was asked, how do you know what, what a poem is? She says, when it blows my head off, (laughs) like when I, you know, when you feel this in your body. And I think similarly that a, a true spirituality is going to be the opposite of 
something that transcends this world or asks us to transcend this world, kind of to imagine, you know, to think of this world as like a a warm up for the one that matters, right? I think a true spirituality is going to immerse us in this world and lead us into celebrating this world. There's this beautiful, I love that you use this word widening, a widening spirituality. That's a word that means a lot to me. There's a poem by this wonderful uh, German poet, Rainier Maria Rilke. And he has this beautiful book called Letters to a Young Poet, and as well as the Duino Elegies. And they're both, they're deeply spiritual works of poetry and, and written in a very dark time, like written during the First and Second World Wars. But this poem, Widening Circles, he says, I live my life in widening circles that reach out across the world. I may not complete this last one, but I give myself to it. I circle around God, around the primordial tower. I've been circling for thousands of years and still, I don't know. Am I a falcon, a storm, or a great song? So this weird, epic language, this language of widening and widening, there's maybe not a better image for that, then, you know, you can see like a hawk circling around an area that she's surveying and widening and widening and widening and starting to fly higher and higher and higher. So I would say I I love, I love thinking about our spiritual journey as a journey of widening. I think that the greatest Mm -hmm. spiritual teachers of all time always answer some version of the same way, which is... Mm -hmm. Know, it, it comes down to love, like what what makes you love, 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 love yourself, love this world, love each other. When we find ourselves in moments of awe, you know, where we're just gobsmacked by this existence, this experience, the 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 beauty and everything else, the beauty and mm-hmm. the heart, the beauty and the grief, which like when we get to the core of that heartbreak and grief and even like existential despair it's we feel all of that because we are so blown away by the beauty of this experience of life and need you know want it to mean and want it to continue and so there's even at at the core i think of our like most kind of despairing moments again this is this deeply spiritual experience of love so whatever it is that makes me bow to anyone else, you know, bow to another human being, Mm -hmm. bow to a flower, bow to anything in reverence and awe. That is spirit. That's this acknowledgement of this thing (laughs) that runs through that we all have different names for, and we've all have different experiences of. And it's my favorite question to ever ask anybody, you know, just like, how are you experiencing spirit? I want to know, I want to know your version. Mm -hmm. And like, it can enrich my own. Widens yours. Yeah. yeah. It's mine. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. So we, as we wrap these conversations, we typically ask, what is a centering practice that brings you home to yourself? And I know you have so many. So maybe in lieu of just answering that question, if you would maybe guide us in a centering practice. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's another meditation, um, some breath work. You just have such a gifted way of bringing us into that space. So we'd love to invite you to, to lead us as we end. Oh, thank you. I think I'm going to, I'm going to lead us through one more reading of this poem that we began with. And what I would invite you to, especially in these first few lines, it begins, the bud stands for all things, even those things that don't flower. So what I want to invite us to, and I'm with us in this, is to just start to whether you're sitting or if you're multitasking, straighten your spine and drop your weight into either your feet if you're standing or your sit bones if you're sitting, your pelvis. Just feel the weightiness of the bottom half of your body really dropping into the ground. And the upper half of your body from where 
your spine begins, just start to lift and lift and lift and feel your shoulders roll back and feel your heart start to open, more space around your heart. Lifting up through your head, maybe tucking your chin a little bit so there's this powerful continuum of your spine allowing a pure flow of energy. Take a deep breath into your belly and let the belly swell as the breath fills it. And then slowly fall in towards your spine as you exhale through the nose. Again, inhale, belly expands. You just let yourself take up your full space. And exhale gently, maybe a little bit slower than you inhaled. I like to call this feeling the melt. <laughs> so just notice even with these first few breaths how your face has relaxed, that connection between your shoulders and your neck has relaxed. You're trusting the base of your body, your legs to hold you and the ground to hold you underneath. So as we begin to open and to let our body know, which is so important to do on a regular basis, that we're okay right now, we're held. Allowing ourselves to experience the peace that allows the healing, whatever healing it is that we need today. I want to invite us to think about something in your life, to just call it very literally to your heart, like to your heart space, something in your life that's feeling like it is not blooming. It is not flowering. The bud that is not blossoming. And hold that extra close and bless it. Welcome it. Let it know that it belongs. We're going to tune into it. We're going to give it some love. All the feelings around it, some love. The bud stands for all things, even those things that don't flower. Deep breaths. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to place a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. So I want to invite us to Maybe place your hand on your own brow or place your hands on your heart. And that thing that you're holding, that part of yourself that feels dead or disappointing or impossible, just place your hand so lovingly on its brow. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and the slops and the spiritual curl of the tail from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath. And maybe you say this to yourself right now, you say this to your, that part of you that is not blooming, celebrating its long, perfect loveliness. Your long, perfect, miraculous, one of a kind, loveliness. Deep breath into the belly. And your belly falling in toward your spine. This next inhale, blessing all parts of yourself today, even if you don't believe it. <laughs> Bless it anyway. Practice anyway. Practice our way into belief. Blessing all parts of you. And then open your eyes and just kind of feel if there's a buzz in your body, if there's a change in frequency. I always immediately 
the way I become aware of how much tension I'm holding is to take a mindful breath and to mm. start to release it. And then we realize there's so much more space. So with you today, I'm going to do this practice with you today. Maybe you try an experiment of just being in this place of self-blessing, of self-blessing yourself a few times a day and just kind of see what shifts by the end of the day. Definitely, for sure, for sure, we will see shifts in our relationships because this stuff is contagious. Mm. So what an honor to, to breathe with you, to talk about the big, important, beautiful stuff with you. And I just want to say thank you to OnSite. Thank you to every single person that is a part of this whole project. Thank you so much for spending time with us. This was, I know it'll be a gift to our listeners, but it was also a really big gift to me today. Yeah. I'm buzzing. Thank you. Me too. So much. Mm, Big love. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.